Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Danny. Join me as we go deep into God's Word, as we discover the hidden gems and hidden treasures that God has made available to us all if we would have but ears to hear and eyes to see. As you come with me on this journey, let's explore God's Word and see what He desires to show and tell us in our day. This may be your first time or the next time, but I welcome you here. Let's dig in and see what the Lord has for us today. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 6. And today is going to kind of segue into a little bit of what episode 5 was on. And this is just something I felt kind of burning in my heart to to touch on. And out of episode 5, it was one of the questions is you know, talking about how scandalous this gospel, this good news is. And so that's kind of what I want to tie into. And we're going to start actually in Luke chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 43 and read through 45. Um, Before we get started, I do want to just take a, a quick second to say how appreciative I am of firstly of how the Lord is growing and multiplying this listening base. It's I, I did not see this coming. I thought maybe a few people would have some interest. Um, it's skyrocketed beyond my expectation. And not only that, but it's actually growing outside of the United States. And we are entertaining now both listeners in India and in France. So I'm just blown away that the Lord would see fit to push this message out beyond where I am and that people would be eager to hear. And uh, I just, I'm thankful to the Lord and all of you who take the time to participate with me on this adventure. So I uh, I want to give the, the Lord glory and thank you all for being supportive. So pressing on into Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, it reads this, No good tree bears, good, uh, bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. That's what I really want to highlight there. This is Jesus speaking in this text. And that last section, it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So that's what I want us to really to lay hold of is our mouth is tied to our heart. Now, just for a moment, take an inventory of what you speak about, 
because from what you're saying reflects the abundance that is in your heart. So it's easy to, to tell what a person is passionate about because it's what they spend their time talking about. We see this on a day-to-day basis in our you know, everyday routine. As we come across people that we know or new people, we find out really quickly what they're interested in because it comes up out of them. It's like a, a source and a, a river that flows. Now, Jesus says in the preceding verse, he says that good fruit is a result of good treasure. Now, that should or may clue you in on a section of Scripture out of uh, Matthew. It's in chapter 6. It's verse 21. And Jesus is speaking here, and he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So good fruit is a result of good treasure. And then he also says in another place where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so that good treasure is a byproduct of being a good person. So that's what the that's what the text out of Luke Jesus said out He says, the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. Now, this is something that we need to define. Because when we read this, the good treasure is byproduct of being a good person. When I make a statement like that, see, most people would say to to others, to themselves, they would say, well, I'm a good person. You know, I don't, I don't. I don't do some of these more insidious things. You know, I don't murder. I don't um, steal from my employer. So most, most people actually would say or define that they are a good person. So we're actually, we're actually going to take a little bit of time to unpack how God defines wickedness, evil, wrong. So kind of keep that question in the back of your mind as you think on it. Do I consider myself a good person? Now, conversely, oppositely, the product of evil is due to evil treasure produced by an evil person. But before we quickly jump to a conclusion to say, I'm a good person and I'm not evil. Let's take a look at what what the Bible says and what God says or calls evil. If we we look at, at what we have read thus far about where the treasure is, there your heart will be, and out of good treasure is the byproduct of being a good person, we need to realize that the heart recognizes treasure and is drawn to it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what what we treasure, our heart will be there too. Now, I would say just at the at the onset of this, we need a new heavenly value system. 
the things of this world and this earth and the desires of self, these are things that substitute for genuine or true heavenly treasure. We need to exchange our earthly value system for treasure, and we need to exchange it for a heavenly one. We need to exchange our earthly gold for heaven's gold, for the currency of heaven. So let's now, let's now take a look at what God calls evil. We're going to read out of Proverbs 8, verse 13. It says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Now these are the words. These are words spoken through the author, which is very likely Solomon wrote much of Proverbs but he is speaking from the perspective of God. So God is speaking through Solomon or, or the writer of this particular one. It says, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So God is saying pride and arrogance. And then he, and then he ties that together with the way of evil and perverted speech. These things I hate. Now he, he writes in another place, in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, it says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So just right at the beginning there, that can be a little confusing of a statement. There are six things that the Lord hates. So there's there's seven items total. The first six, this is how I understand it. The first six are things that he hates and seven that are an abomination to him. So these first six, he defines as he the Lord hates these. And then all seven of them are an abomination to him. Okay, so let's read that again. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number one, haughty eyes. Haughty means arrogant, proud. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So there's seven items here, and seven that are an abomination to him. These list, This whole list of seven are an abomination to God. Haughty eyes, arrogant or proud. That's very sobering. How many of us struggle with an arrogance or a pride? Matthew, and, and this is important, because it specifically says haughty eyes. Pay close attention to the specifics of wording. Words are very particularly chosen. And so if we can, if we can just dig below the surface a little as we read verses, don't let, don't let your mind glaze past and just read right through it. Take a second. There's little jewels in every little thing that you read. If you can just take the time to unpack it, to think on it, let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you into a discovery. That's one of my most favorite things in, in studying Scripture is the process of discovery. But he says here, haughty eyes. So these are arrogant or proud. But it's, it's interesting to me why he chose eyes. 
arrogant or proud eyes. In Matthew 6, 22, and I think this is a particular a link for this choosing of words, Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So the eye is the lamp of the body. Oftentimes we'll hear a phrase that the eyes are the window to the soul. Although that's not necessarily um, you know, scriptural taken out of scripture, it is, a, it is a play on this particular verse, I believe, that the eye is the lamp of the body. You know, lamps project light. It is a casing in which that houses light. And so the eye is a housing for the light that is in you or the darkness. And that is why oftentimes in the eye, it reveals the particular condition of a person. And so, again, seven things that are an abomination to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. How many of us are guilty of lying? Hands that shed innocent blood. Now, I don't believe that that that's necess- doesn't have to necessarily be literal blood, but absolutely includes literal shedding of blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Do we do we sit around and and ponder and fantasize about ways that we could get someone back or return evil for the evil that they've shown us? We think about how we could do certain things and get away with it. Feet, the next one, feet that make haste to run to evil. How eager are we to to quickly do those things that are evil in God's sight? A false witness who breathes out lies. Are we willing to, are we guilty of saying things that accuse people falsely? Are we lying about what we've encountered, what we've seen, what we've experienced? And then one who sows discord among brothers. Is Are, are you a person who, who at your workplace causes strife between people? This he said, she said stuff, uh, you know, even rampant in the church, not just in the secular world. So do, you, know, you think about these, you know, six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. How many do, do you fall into this category? How many do I fall into this category? Let's, let's look at, it's Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23. And we're going to read something that Jesus said here. Mark seven twenty through 23. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, It is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, 
fornication, theft, murder, adultery, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, avarice, envy, slander, pride, folly, foolishness. All of these, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And foolishness can be saying, you could say foolish things, or you can do foolish things. And it's, and he calls these, all these evil things. It's a very sobering reality. I, I, I probably would lose count throughout the day of how many of these that I personally would violate. When we think about coveting, this... This covet means to desire, also to take pleasure. Now, I think there's two components to this. So desire from the, from the aspect of desire, it would be like this unbridled desire. You know, when I, when I desire something and it's like I take the reins off of my desire, like you would a horse, I, I let go of the reins and I let it just run free. There's things that, that you may be tempted to think on, th- things that you would be tempted to entertain, and do you let those desires go unbridled, unrestricted? That is the aspect of desire in coveting. Then the second component is taking pleasure. This is one aspect I believe is using for yourself so in Exodus, God revealed through the law about not coveting your uh, neighbor's wife or the, your neighbor's slave or their home. And, and so not only could you let your desire, your fantasy, your, your longing for go unbridled, but then you actually could also take part in what is not does not belong to you. If you enjoy for yourself something that is not yours, you've coveted. And God calls all of these things evil. It's very sobering. I want to touch on Matthew and it's 5:21 through 22. You have heard it said, Jesus is speaking, you have heard it said that it, that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. So when he says murder here in Mark, murder does not have to be just from the context of I've actually taken their life. But Jesus here explains a, even more fully this aspect of, of murder. He said, 
whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment or on your way to judgment. Let's let's look too at first John three fifteen. And John here says, All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. So so it's not in even in the strictest sense of you explicitly took someone's life, but hate also in, makes you included into into this category of murder. It's sobering. I'm not trying to beat you down. I I just want you to take a good inventory of and and so he says these things out of Mark. Now remember that what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, he reveals throughout that chapter that it's it's about what's inside you even before it manifests outwardly. So anger, as we said, towards a brother, you're in danger of the judgment, liable. You look lustfully at a person, man or, man or woman, you're guilty of adultery. And all those things, Jesus said, he called them evil things. All those evil things Jesus spoke, written back in Mark 7, can cause you to be guilty in the heart before you ever technically act on them. Some, some people misrepresent what, when Jesus came, they actually believe that when he came and you know, he substituted for, for those who are guilty, and, and it made it easier. Actually, when Jesus came, he showed that we didn't even have it right to begin with. We missed this whole idea of the condition of the heart, and we made it about this outward thing. These boxes checked. And he said, no, 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 no. You've heard it said, but I'd say. And so that's what we need. We need a revelation of, of what does Jesus say? What is he trying to tell us? And so the condition of our heart can cause us to be guilty before we ever technically act on anything. If they reach the heart, the devil has you dead to rights, red-handed. Now, now that you feel good and dirty, I'm here to help you take an accurate inventory of your heart. Remember, our, we originally would easily say, well, I'm a good person. Now, as we're starting to see some of these things, how God defines evil, we think, oh man, we, I, I can fall into that category right there. Or I can, I can fall into that category. Now, I'm going to read next Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Romans 7, 14 through 25. Now it says this. This is Paul writing. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do 
what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. How many of us have been there? Verse 16, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. He's talking about the law of God. But, in fact, it is no longer I that do do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members, my body, another law at war, at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God. But with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. Now see, what Paul here is saying is, I want to do good, but I do bad. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to do. Who will rescue me from this futility? Thank God for His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that last little section, he says, So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God. So my, he's saying, my, my, with my mind, I desire. It draws me to do the law of God, to fulfill that in which God desires. My mind wants to do this, but my flesh, he says, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Now, this, the, most, the most epic verse in Romans, out of there are many epic things, but chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful reality. But right before it, Paul says that I'm a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I'm a slave to the law of sin. See, if I was writing this book, this chapter, I'd want to leave off that previous verse and just end it with, thank God for his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and Go right straight into verse 1 of chapter 8. There's therefore no now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'd want to leave that previous part out about being a slave to the law of God and a slave to the law of sin. But Paul didn't leave it out. Why is that? See, by the Spirit 
of God, he is reinforcing a reality that we all face as children of God. I'm talking to those whom are followers of God, who've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who've surrendered their hearts to him, who have surrendered their lives to the leadership of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father. No man can come to God except through him. There's not multiple ways to get to God. There's not many routes that lead to one road. There is but one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no old or young or in between, no one can come to the Father God except through Him. So by the Spirit, Paul is reinforcing the reality that we face as children of God, this bipolar pull, this this two-way pull, a slave to God's law desiring to do the things of God, and this slavery or this pull, this draw of the flesh to the law of sin. Remember, I desire to do right, but I find myself not always doing right. It feels like bondage. It feels like slavery. Let's keep going in Romans 8. We said, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus condemned. It's a, it's, it's a word that communicates sentence, sentencing, this, this idea of this guilt that, that produces a sentence, a judgment, a declaration of guilt. He's saying there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. You see that? The law is not weak. The, the law was weakened by the flesh of mankind. The law weakened by the flesh what it could not do. By sending his own son, God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of man, in the likeness of flesh, having a body, having a fleshly body while still being God. He says, while by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit what a beautiful reality but it's important to remember we must highlight to those who are in Christ Jesus because that's to whom Romans 8:1 is written in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ for that to apply to you and your life. Now, I want to kind of 
elaborate on that idea in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. John writes this, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. These are those who are called children of God. They're in the family of God by way of the Son, Jesus. And he he goes on to say, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I want to reinforce that last part again. All that have this hope in him. Remember verse 1, Romans 8, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Back to John, all that have this hope in him purify themselves just as he, Christ, is pure. You see, we cannot be pure. Just as I revealed to you back in the passage of Mark 7 of of all these evil aspects, what, what we could not do and what we cannot do, Jesus accomplished on our behalf. So why do we call this gospel good news? Because the good news is you cannot, but he did. Let's keep reading in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start now continuing on verse 4 and go through verse 10. He says, everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. We're talking about Jesus. Verse 6, no one who abides in him, in Christ, sins. Catch that. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Christ, is righteous. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God We call this born again. Do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. I'm not making this up. This is straight out of the Bible. This is scandalously great news. John, in his gospel, in chapter 15, 9 through 10, writes, As the Father loved 
me. This is Jesus speaking. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Remain. Abide. Remain. It's this, it's this place of dwelling. Dwell in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39, it reads, The first and greatest command is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Remain. We have to remain in Jesus. This is the word abide. It's, it's a picture of being in fellowship, dwelling with him. Let his finished work perfect you. Let his hands smooth out the imperfect vessel that you are. Go to him with your weaknesses. Confess them. Talk plainly with him. Hate your sin. Love God's word, both spoken and written. And if you don't love it yet, ask him to cause you to love it. And keep walking forward until you notice your love changing that that you have for him. Ask Jesus to reveal to your heart and mind his conquering over sin and your flesh and make real to you the conquering over your flesh. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you moment by moment and and have him reveal to you, teach you, enable you how to have victory over your flesh Ask Jesus to help you daily crucify your flesh. But in all this, to the, fo- to the believers and followers of Jesus Christ, in all these things, in all of this inventory that we've got to assess for ourselves, and we try and we think we can answer the question, we see, I'm a good person. Hmm. We see how dramatically we fall short of the glory of God. We're broken. We're putrid. We're dirty. We're filthy. But when we allow Jesus to be our leader, when we deny ourselves and follow him, we connect to him and we are the branch and he is the vine. When we surrender our hearts and our affection to him and we, we say yes to his leadership and we can discover even though our lives may not be easy, it'll be good. He doesn't promise an easy road. But he says, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to the purposes of God, to those who love God and are called. And so I would just encourage you, surrender if you have not. Surrender the throne of your heart and say yes to Jesus. 
follow him and begin a journey of nearness, a journey of closeness to his voice. Let him speak things to you and over you that you may be a, a changer of, of environments, of the atmosphere around you, of those close to you and those you do not yet know. Because he has a mighty work for you to do. So I thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks for joining me. I hope this blessed your heart and you leave with something special. Let us press in to know him more. Let us press in to know him more. And he will find us in seeking and seek us in finding. God bless you.